Welcome to Drone Futures, a series about how drones are reshaping how the world is perceived, how people are governed, and how power is enacted and resisted. I'm Dr. Michael Richardson, a researcher on drones, war and culture at the University of New South Wales. Drone Futures is recorded on the unceded lands of the Bedigal people. We acknowledge and pay our respects to Elders past and present and express our solidarity with the movements for Black and Indigenous lives. In this bonus episode, we're sharing a discussion with Karen Kaplan, Professor Emirata of American Studies at the University of California at Davis. Karen gave a keynote lecture on pandemic drones and everyday militarisms at the Drone Cultures Symposium. This is the Q&A that followed, conducted live on Zoom with questions offered by the audience via chat. And uh, I'll begin with um, Alex Edney Brown, um, who will be speaking um, at the end of the um, symposium. Alex says, thank you so much for this uh, fantastic keynote. I'm wondering if you've thought about the relationship between the climate crisis and drones. As the climate crisis is increasingly securitized, what potential uses will drones have and how will that play into this um, good, bad, military, non-military narrative um, around drones? Drones are um, uh, heavily advocated for in envir- a lot of environmentalist uh, concerns uh, for all kinds of reasons, uh, many of them quite compelling. Uh, indigenous uh, groups have used um, aerial photography even before drones and now including drones to um, make land claims and uh, to help uh, agitate against the expansion or the creation of mining uh, pipelines uh, of all sorts. Uh, So um, uh, uh, I've written about and uh, many other people have commented on the use of drones by uh, protesters at Standing Rock to counter the air power and ground power Uh, that was ranged against them so terribly in 2016 and just after. Um, uh, So, so, you know, it's this exactly the, you know, similar kind of conundrum where off the shelf, readily available, uh, smaller drones um, by the companies that I was mentioning uh, already in this talk are um, sort of seem to lend themselves to the use of uh, NGOs and community groups uh, that don't have, big budgets, uh, and but still need to try to monitor, assess, survey, and try to um, uh, make legal and um, political claims. Concomitantly, um, big um, industries use drones to do, uh, to survey and check their equipment uh, and, you know, but, you know, consolidate their power and their efficiency, et cetera. So, uh, and everybody wants to, um, get rid of as much human labor as they possibly can to save money. So, um, uh, so obviously these issues are deeply implicated in climate change issues um, uh, on both sides uh, and, and can be mobilized by the big corporations, by governments um, who want to monitor protests or do want to assess and survey landscapes of, of territories of various sorts, as well as people who are protesting and organizing against these things. And there's a lot to talk about there. Thanks, Karen. Yeah, I mean, and then and then there's also the um, you know growing application of of drones for environmental monitoring and um, and you know you can now more carefully monitor um, you know the res- the receding glaciers or um, you know strip yeah. mining and so on. So there's all these there's yeah there's all of those um, applications too, which like maybe um, 
exist in between those modes of the the sort of <clears throat> the scientific um, and the the activist and and um, and more kind of NGO applications too. So it's a really yeah, I think it's a great question, Alex, and a really compli- and a really complicated um, future for these types of technologies in in that space. Satellite time is really expensive, so you know if you can get a drone off the off, off the shelf of your local big department store um, uh, and do it yourself that way, um, you know it it's that's a compelling argument. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, I've also got a question um, from. Uh, uh, Sertan Saral, who's asked, um, who's, who's also said, thanks so much for an excellent presentation. I'll keep all look, there's many compliments and I'm going to keep them all in there because um, they're deserved. Uh, um, how has drone use impacted narratives and perceptions of troop drawdowns in wars um, and conflicts that states like the US are waging? Well, yeah, well, in fact, there was a really great article, I think just yesterday, maybe it was in the Washington Post, um, an op, no, well, it was an op-ed, I can find it and post it for folks, um, uh, that argued that um, uh, actually pulling troops out will increase civilian death tolls because um, drones are, um, will rely on, inform- will have less on the ground inf- intelligence mm-hmm. to rely upon and therefore will be less accurate. Uh, and so we can expect civilian death tolls to go up in conflict zones. So, I mean, it's Sertan, it's a great question. And hi, Sertan. Um, uh, uh, and, and I, you know, I think that, that, I mean, war sucks. And I, you know, whatever we're using, any, any uh, form of weaponry uh, and, and material and technology is intended to um, hurt people. Uh, so, uh, so it's, I'm not being, you know, naive here, but I do think that, that because, um, Drone warfare has been such an important part of the way the United States has, which is a lead actor in the war on terror, which is a global war um, uh, across almost every continent. Um, since it's such an important part of the uh, mode of warfare for the United States over the last couple of decades, um, paying attention to how it is conducted really, um, you know, it behooves us, um, especially because we're responsible for so many civilian deaths. So. What I would say is just pulling ground troops out isn't going to solve the problem at all. It just seems um, kind of a craven um, political um, gesture. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in this um, political side of, of drone warfare. And I think that Sotan's question gets to um, some one of the key issues, which is um, the, the way um, the presence of drones allows a kind of withdrawal um, of, of warfare from political debate. Um, so that, you know, yeah, you, as you draw down um, troops on the ground, um, then, you know, there are less, um, you know, injured soldiers coming home, there are less bodies coming home, um, there's less kind of uh, lived presence of uh, the distant war um, on the home front. And so, you know, the expansion of the drone um, perhaps enables um, a less political engagement with, um, with war. I'm just wondering if you if you sort of have um, some some thoughts on um, the sort of public um, relationship to to war, particularly in the United States, um, and and you know whether that has changed um, in this era of of drone warfare. Well, I mean, it's kind of really dropped off the map because um, things have been so um, dismal, uh, um, you know 
within the boundaries of the country itself um, and um, with growing income inequality, worsening climate and environmental conditions, and you know now this public health crisis, um, that people really, as I was saying, bandwidth is stretched very thin. And reporters, journalists haven't been all that great uh, about um, how to approach the war on terror anyway you know, all along because we had all the defensive patriotism around the attacks of September 11th, which just made it really tough to have a, take any kind of apparently for the mainstream media, any kind of a critical approach to the way the wars were conducted for a really long time. Then there was this big sort of focus on um, problems with drone warfare towards the middle to the end of the Obama era uh, and it's just completely dropped away uh, during the Trump administration, even though the Trump administration has used uh, drones very, very heavily, as I said, and many others have pointed out. And it does get reported, but has had no traction whatsoever. Um, uh, and people think that the use of um, drones in, you know, domestically, uh, often it just really appears to be like a good idea. Um, and it's efficient, it could save money, uh, people, you know, we need modern technologies, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the kind of just exhaustion and lack of any um, real stick-to-itiveness, uh, you know, uh, to get people to care about this is really tough. I often feel when I say something, when I say the word drone, like everybody's eyes start to glaze over. It's like they, they're pretty sure they know what's gonna be said. It's like, there's nothing left to say about it. And even recently, um, uh, you know, people will say things like it's not really taking place even in Afghanistan, you know, the AFPAC um, region. And in fact, mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so and it hasn't just moved to Yemen um, or Somalia. It's it's there's a lot of a lot of airstrikes going on in, in Afghanistan. Um, so so I, it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. Um, um, it's very frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, there was, I think there was a report, um, might have been New York Times or Washington Post, um, maybe even this morning, um, but definitely in the last couple of days that, that um, you know, under Trump, um, the number of airstrikes in Afghanistan has actually tripled. Um, and yes. I think, you know, you know, one of the, uh, I think that there's a sort of multiple layers of challenge here from a kind of public perspective, but also just getting an analytical purchase. And, you know, it's a, that the Trump administration is a lot less transparent um, about uh, drone strikes and airstrikes in general than um, the Obama administration was, um, which, which creates um, some real trouble. And the other is, is just um, that, you know, and I think this is not this is not um, an original point um, on my part. It's um, I'm borrowing it pretty heavily from um, Derek Gregory, who sort of said that um, you know the that we um, in thinking about aerial war, we overprivilege the drone strike as a, as a particular kind of, um, of of unique violence that needs to be attended to. And you know, his point is that like in um, war war operations by the United States and and other countries that that um, drone um, that the drone is is almost always present in in some form or another, but it's usually actually not launching a missile. It's often right. telling um, another uh, type of aerial platform where to launch a missile to, right? right? right. And so um, and so you know actually like by if we if we focus too heavily on what the 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 strike of the drone rather than the kind of presence and proliferation of the drone, we're missing 
the more fundamental transformation of, of warfare. And I think, you know, for me on the, the war aspect of your, of your, um, of your talk, that, um, that call to attend more closely to the emerging forms of, of military drones um, and also to uh, particularly around like aerial combat drones, um, survivable drones, et cetera, et cetera, is really important because it, it gets us to kind of look beyond um, the, the, uh, yeah. the reaper and the predator, um, which, yeah. as you say, are, are on the way out anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, I think that um, I, I know that I can come across as a killjoy around the um, uh, consumer drone uh, and commercial drone um, market and the possibilities for um, especially humanitarian or political um, progressive uses um, of these devices to try to counter state violence. Um, um, but I, I think it's because I live in a country where it's so difficult to get people to um, um, address uh, the, the endless uh, nature of the wars that we seem to be conducting, which have such, I mean, beyond um, the damage to other peoples, damage to the economy of the United States is so crippling. It's part of why, why our healthcare system is so terrible uh, and, and our social services are so terrible. Uh, it's part of the reason. Um, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's just had such a devastating effect on, on our country, on our culture, on our, in every possible way. And uh, as someone who grew up during the protests against the Vietnam War, it's been so, I just can never understand why we don't have a more um, unified coherent anti-war um, stance uh, in the United States and approach in the United States. So in part, in some ways you could say it's a rhetorical strategy to be uh, pushing the everyday militarism's argument in relation to commercial um, and consumer drones. But it also isn't because I, I have done research in the past on the global positioning system and how it emerged from a kind of collaboration between civilian and military um, uh, research projects, basically, um, that then became marshaled for the Persian Gulf War, but then moved very rapidly into um, consumer society. Uh, and this seems to me is ringing all those warning bells. Um, uh, and, you know, I use GPS on my phone all the time. I'm perfectly happy to have it. Um, but it, it's, it's, I still think that it's extremely important for us to be critical and to raise um, important questions about what are the checks and balances that are either there or should be there? And what are the, um, what, what kind of trade-offs are we making? Yeah, I think that's a really great point because one of the sort of reflexive responses that people have when you make, when one makes these arguments about, um, about the expansion of these, of, of drone technologies and so on is that people say, well, you know, I mean, the internet is, for example, has its roots in, in um, military needs as do so many other communications, um, information Almost technologies. Literally. I mean, fly, <laughs> like being able to fly anywhere. Um uh, does too, um, but nevertheless, this and you know, using the internet um, is 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 a necessity of life. It doesn't mean um, that we want to support uh, the use of um, of internet communications for um, for for um, killing and war fighting. Right? Um, we have to be able to kind of have a more um, subtle analytic. 
So um, I've got a question from um, Rona Kapadia um, who uh, asks, um, uh, what's your uh, prognosis on how a return, um, quote unquote, to, a, to gentler modes of US domestic and global imperialism via a Biden-Harris administration? Um, what, what will the effect of that be on the calculus of anti-war activism and politics? I mean, and I think, you know, Ronak here is thinking, um, you know, too about, um, uh, you know, the intensification of forever war under Trump in various ways. And a second part to the question is whether the defund the police and, and, and uh, Black Lives Matter organizing in the US gives us a new um, analytic or political purchase for, for a defund the Pentagon kind of argument. Well, oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and yeah, we, so I'll start with the end first, which is, yeah, we have to defund the Pentagon as well as defund the police. I mean, and they go to, it goes together. And that's kind of what I'm trying to say here. Mm. Um, uh, maybe we need a t-shirt or could someone please design something um, along those lines? That would be really great. Um, so, um, so the first part of the question was about, yeah, what do I expect? I, I expect things to be terrible. <laughs> um, I think that, um, I think that I, 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 you know, I, 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 I have to say, I mean, I phone banked for Biden-Harris, which is just like mind boggling to me, but I did. Um, I mean, the situation was so bad. So, I mean, I worked really hard um, and went way past my comfort zone to do everything I could to make sure that uh, Joseph Biden and Kamala Harris were elected uh, and will be elected. I mean, we're still a little scared. Um, uh, it has to happen. That said, I mean, I think, you know, gloves starting to come off. We have, um, I have a right as somebody who worked hard to get them elected um, to also um, hold them accountable uh, and to try to influence uh, influence them through my representatives and through every possible way that I, I can. And uh, I don't, I expect them to change very much. I see this as kind of, you know, a continuation of Obama, Hillary Clinton sort of um, state you know, Secretary of State sort of approach. Um, and I think the people that they're putting into the cabinet positions don't seem to indicate to me that we would have a change in drone uh, warfare um, policies. They might be more transparency. They're going to be really sorry and wring their hands as civilians continue to be killed. And also, frankly, you know, it's, we can also talk about whether we think anyone should be assassinated or whether there are other forms of solving problems. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and um, addressing conflicts, um, uh, it, you know, um, especially at this point after all of these years. Uh, so um, I'm not sure we're going to see, we might see more diplomacy and more efforts um, and some of the real smart career people in the State Department will start, and diplomacy will start to come back into the government. But um, I, I expect to still see a great deal of drama. Um, just to shift tack a little bit, um, Anna Munster has asked a, um, uh, a really interesting question, which is, um, do you have thoughts on, on how the university research partnerships with um, the military around drones differ from military partnerships with, um, say, the gaming industry um, in, in the same area? Oh, what an interesting question. Um, well, I don't know too much about the gaming industry, um, and I'm just starting to learn more about how extensive um, this relationship is uh, between universities and drone companies. In researching this talk, I had to cut out tons of stuff. And there's a whole lot um, about, um, uh, about um, incubators, uh, innovation incubators. 
Uh, and um, they're very widespread. I mean, I noticed it on my own campus. It's been sort of about a 12, 10 to 12 year process and everything's a lab now, even if you're in the humanities, uh, which is one telltale sign. But um, as, a, as someone who really cares about the field of science and technology studies, I also think that that's interesting. Um, uh, all of this is to sort of flutter around and say, I'm not sure yet. This is research I'd like to do more uh, work on. Um, I do think that you, the neoliberal university will be ruthless in uh, finding um, ways to monetize uh, research areas. And if they can't get money from the government, they will take money from corporations. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, that's going to influence curricula, it's going to influence fields of study, and it's going to influence products mm. that emerge from, from these uh, consortiums. Mm. Um, so Chris Agius has um, also asked, um, how do you see the proliferation and expansion, um, how do, sorry, how do you see proliferation and expansion and what new problems can develop from this, um, the kind of expansion that you've narrated? And um, also fascinating is the ver vertical mediation aspect and um, how do drones change air, for example, that affects um, wildlife and environment um, and so on? Yeah. Well, I mean, I often, I, I, I often, sit and look out the window and imagine a sky filled with small drones, you know, and is that really going to happen? Is it sci-fi? Um, uh, what are we going to see? What are we going to experience? Um, what's it going to do to the atmosphere? Um, how polluting will it be? What kind of noise pollution will we have? How dangerous is it? What happens when um, some of these devices fail and fall out of the sky? Who, you know, what, what can we expect? Um, and I don't think that there are necessarily any hard and fast answers to this yet. And I absolutely do not trust the people who are developing a lot of these devices to, to um, care about it very much. Um, and it's one thing, maybe a Biden-Harris administration might be better than a, a Trump administration in terms of airspace regulation, although they're always gonna be much more pro-police in relation to who's using the airspace than I would like to see. Um, so I, I, I'm not very good at prognosticating, but I would say that what I was really alarmed as I was updating my research to write this paper because I had been away from it for a little bit and coming back and just kind of doing a deep dive. Wow. I mean, this is a, this is huge business. Every, it's like the wild west. Everybody and their aunt is making drones uh, of various sizes if they possibly can. Uh, and it, I think that that will cause problems. Um, that's my educated um, conclusion. This will cause problems. Uh, so that the, I think one thing we're here to discuss together is what, what kinds of problems um, and what can we do to make intelligent uh, suggestions to mitigate some of the difficulties and, and unfortunate things that might come to pass. Mm. And not to be only doom and gloom, what if we need to mod or hack or, or work with the technology, what can we do uh, to um, try to uh, see some positivity here um, without being naive about it? Yeah, I think that's a really, that last point is a really interesting um, line of inquiry, particularly when, you know, in the military space, um, you know, until recently, it's been, the uh, industry has been so dominated by the US, whereas in the consumer space, um, you know, DJI, the Chinese company really dominates the the drone market. And so, what are the spaces for um, a more DIY or a more um, open source um, or a more, um, uh, 
or a less restricted um, version of drone technologies, what might they look like as, as you know, DJI starts to um, you know, introduce um, live geofencing and things like that that could, um, you know, very quickly take over and restrict drone access to various sites, which um, we know will, will, will almost certainly never be um, uh, actions undertaken um, on, on behalf of citizenry. It'll be, more, be on, the, on behalf of um, state, and, state and corporate power. I'm really interested in ways that protesters can uh, develop defensive um, uh, tactics uh, to deal with the overhead surveillance and sensing, uh, remote sensing uh, um, technologies that are coming at them already and that will be coming at them. And the thing that really concerns me, I don't know why, but the, 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 the constellations of smaller devices concern me even more than just a big luggy thing flying slow circles around a city. I'm really concerned about the smaller, zippier um, devices that can be deployed that I think would many just citizens on the ground who want to come out and protest are going to find it harder to defend against. And I actually think that's like a, I think that's an urgent, you know, urgent organizing need. I'm sure there's people working on it. And I just don't know too much about it yet, but I, that, that's urgent. I mean, if I'm going out to protest, that's something on my mind that I want to know what to do. Um, yeah. Um, we're almost at the end of our time, so um, I'm going to um, go to one last question from um, from Andrew Kenning, um, who said, uh, "Thanks, Karen, for the excellent presentation. Um, with the everyday militarism of drones, are there fears of a potential blowback in terms of non-state actors utilizing these technologies for violence?" Oh yeah, um, it, it's a it, it's it's a great concern um, uh, in. Um political science circles. Um, Anna Jackman has, is right, doing a lot of writing about this. I recommend her work if you're interested in this topic, this part of the topic. Um, uh, yes, uh, and in a way, it's kind of a David versus Goliath kind of moment. Um, uh, um, and I think it just depends on which, which insurgency do you want to support, right? So I might be really thrilled to hear that um, Palestinian activists are using uh, are, are, are sort of using a fight back method, using small drones off the shelf um, in Gaza, whereas I might be a little more worried if it's an ISIS insurgent somewhere else, right? Because those are my politics. So it's kind of like pick your pick your pick your insurgent group, whether you ha and, and that can affect how you feel about this. But absolutely, um, anybody can can buy a a small drone, um, and and you take the camera off and you can put explosives in and. Um, send it right into mm. a target that you want. Um, um, this is being done all over the place mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. So, um, so yes, it's a big issue. Um, thank you so much. Um, thank you, everyone. I appreciate the, hitting the end of that time, but I did want to especially wherever you are, where it's really late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I know there's a, there are a few people tuning in from um, uh, around midnight um, in Europe, um, but. Uh, I just, you know, I just wanted to pass on, um, Karen, that uh, you, you're, you're, you can't see the YouTube um, chat at the moment, but um, there's uh, lots of love for your talk um, from, um, from Ronak and from um, Toby Smith, Michelle Barker, Gabby Kirk, Rebecca Edelman, uh, Lindsay Kelly, um, David Beasley, and, and a bunch of other people um, uh, just expressing a lot of appreciation for a really rich um, talk. So I will um, add my own appreciation to, um, to that from all of those folks and from others. I feel you. Um, I see you. Uh, Thank you. And that's it for another episode of Drone Futures, a limited series on the Media Futures podcast. 
For more info about the Drone Futures series, visit us at www.mediafutureshub.org. Please rate, review and subscribe. It really does help new listeners find us and spread the word too. Special thanks to our producer, the talented Cara Jensen-McKinnon, and to our research assistant, the brilliant Madeleine Weber. This podcast was made possible by funding from the Australian Research Council. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and we'll be with you again soon.